Hello. Welcome to Waldman's Words with Jed Fuchs, Emily Burke, Scott Waldman. And we say this in the intro when he's here, but in the intro when he's not here, Anson. One word, one name, all rock. Mm, that's quite the intro right there. Not to be confused with Hansen, the three extremely similar looking people, unclear if they were brothers. No, Anson, the real rock star of the 2020s. Get the H out. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that was pretty good. Yo, we're pumped to have this guy on the show. We like having uh, homegrown rock stars. This is another in front of the scenes for us, even though we're often a behind the scenes show. And man, let me tell you, this guy brings the scenes. He's got the scenes to be in front of. I mean, he's kind of behind the scenes as well. He does all of his things himself in terms of, you know, promotion and managing himself and really getting the project together. For his latest one, he did collaborate with um, Greg Long's label, who we've had on the show multiple times. We are triumphant. But he's really a do-it-yourself kind of guy. He's a nice guy. He's nice. He's friendly. He works hard. He hustles. Emily and I went to a Hanukkah party. We'll get into that later um, at a restaurant called Night Market, which I'd say is more important than Waldman's words. So you should go to Night Market right now. I agree. In the intro to the show. You're Gotta be honest. Okay. Here. I wouldn't say it's more All important right. than Adobe Radio, but it's more important than this show. Anyway, that's Aww. called the... Night and Market, I don't even want you to sponsor us. I just want you to know that we exist and we love you so much. Both locations in LA. We love you everywhere. But Emily and I went and saw Mayday Parade and Anson was in the audience. And then eventually, Anson and I wrote a really fun article for Substream about Mayday Parade. And now we recorded him on this show. And he was on the Twitch that you were probably listening to just before this. And holy cannoli. Mwah. That's a spicy uh, artist. <laughs> spicy Twitch stream. Mm, that's a that's spicy like Twitch it. stream. I'm not gonna lie. That's it's it's got the one quality in an artist that we like demand for an artist guest on the show, which is that they are a DIYer, and we we just don't, especially you guys in management, we don't take people who don't do it themselves, even if you do it on top of them for them. You, they got to be doing it themselves in the first place. And he's also from New York like I am. And he's from Queens like I am, but he lived there way longer than I did. And my wife tells me I can't say I'm from Queens. She can only say that I'm from Long Island. Well, actually, no, she can only say other things, too. Do you have any memories? I have a memory Queens? of being told that we left Queens because my dad saw me playing on the ground and there was glass on the street. But my memory from Queens is like, I just, I do remember living there, but I don't have any specific memory. So <laughs> glass on the street in New York in the eighties, parents were so concerned about glass on the street in New York. Now New York could get away with so much shit on the street before parents are like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have my kid there. So much glass on the street before a parent would go, mm, we should leave New York. Speaking of glass on the street in New York, <laughs> we have Anson coming up on Waldman's Words right now. Stick around, stay tuned right after these commercials. We'll be right back with Waldman's Words. Hello, welcome to Waldman's Words. And I'm going to introduce everyone with one word because we have Anson on, who is the Beyonce of the scene. But less importantly, we have Scott, me, Emily, her, Jed, he, unless you're them. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You had it. Anson! But, but most importantly, Anson! Hey! Yo, 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 how's it going? Man, thanks so much for coming on. We're happy to have you here. I literally just danced. You just danced? I was dancing for Anson. Oh, that's the that new sounds campaign. like a charity. Yeah. If you ever do anything for charity, that that's the ice bucket challenge right there. Dancing yes. for Anson. <laughs> what what kind it. of dance was it, Scott? Was it very like an interpretive thing? Were you doing like uh, flossing? Like what was the dance? 
I'm not going to let you flip the script and interview me, Anson. Let's get to you. <laughs> Wait, I do want to know if Scott knows what flossing is. Oh, I do it every night before bed, Emily. Ooh. No. <laughs> we'll have to teach him. Anson, thank you so much for coming on. Before we dive deep into your sordid past, can you please give us a 30-second overview of your career today? Oh, my God, 30 seconds. Okay. Um, I am... Time's a- up! <laughs> I knew Scott was going to do something like that. Um, I'm a I'm a musician and an artist. Um, I do, I guess, what people would call uh, emo alternative rock music. Um, I've been doing music my whole, I don't know, goddamn life. And uh, I just had a new album come out. It's called A Note For You To Find. Um, it's my very first debut full length. And uh, essentially what's been happening is I've been just growing constantly over the last couple of years and building out what I've been doing. And now I'm here talking with you guys. Look how great is that? I mean, it's super great. And I just want to shout out Greg Long, who not only was a guest on our show, but he was actually a co-host as well. He is the owner and operator of We Are Triumphant. And your really, really catchy and fun record came out on that. But let's go way, way back because... <laughs> I believe, unless I'm butchering this, you are from where I'm from. I think we are. You're from uh you're from the east. I'm the from the east. east. The, the far <laughs> east of America. The general direction, yeah. No, are you from that island of long? I think I'm you're from I, Queens, which is I'm from on Queens. Long yes, yeah. basically. I'm from Forest Hills, Queens, born and raised, lived there the majority of my life. And uh yeah, I I guess I you can say I'm from the island of the long. Well, yeah. I'm originally from Flushing, which is a less nice part of Queens. Your the area. What's better sorry? food, though? The nanny. Oh, really? Uh, well, yes, the, the Chinese food there is out of control good. And the nanny is a show. Hi, I'm Fran Drescher. But <laughs> you, Anson, I feel that when I think of Forest Hills, I think of Jews and Asians, and you're both. So I think that. <laughs> You know, I, I just originally I know that Lee stood for Leibowitz. So I just want you to know that, like, <laughs> this show is normally quite Jewy and you're bringing another half quotient. So we appreciate yeah. it. I, yes. I, as a, a half Jew, half minority, I feel really represented in this room right now. <laughs> we got we to stand together, yo. You know, the, ha- the half Jews, uh, half, I don't know, just other things like yeah no we, we're, we're mutts and we love it we gotta stand strong yeah i'm, I'm half uh hispanic so oh, cool something about the jewish men in the west valley love hispanic women i don't know what it is and something about the jewish men on the east coast well now it's the flip though right because your mom's the jewish one right yeah my mom is jewish um oh. and my my dad is chinese and uh they met in china and came back here and had me uh, not like 27 years ago, and yeah. Wait, wait. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about you and your life and career anymore. What was your mom doing in China? <laughs> oh my god. Um, my mom was studying school. My parents met at the this university called Tsinghua University, which is like the number one like school in China. It's like their Ivy League school or something like that. And uh, she was studying, if I'm not mistaken, Chinese. Uh politics or something around that she's she was learning law and uh went there for like chinese cultural studies to like further broaden that and there they met when um, she was younger than you are right now uh yeah i would like to i would like to think so i mean yeah it was college so yeah definitely younger than where i am now like back then it was like the 80s and uh china just finally opened up the doors back to like letting foreigners in because there's a whole time where america was just like not allowed yeah. um and I know, like, she did ballet out there. Like, she was part of, like, one of the very first, like, ballet companies to go out there and perform and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, they met, they met out there, and then it slowly crashed and burned, and here I am now. <laughs> the re- then, the repercussions of that. And they did a glorious, gorgeous thing and made you. Little I know. Thank you if my so- parents are watching this for birthing me. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, they're not going to watch anything, but they're going to listen to the shit out of it. Burn. Yeah. <laughs> so- they might watch you on Twitch. The hour. Yeah, that's true. We've set up how you became, but from from whence you became. Let's talk about the humble beginnings. We're in the island of Long in the city of New York or adjacent. Uh, what <laughs> kind of music was getting played in your household growing up? Um, that's a good question. Uh, 
from the very beginning, it was a lot of my parents' influences. My mom was the main contributor for that because my dad doesn't really listen to music. He's it's very interesting. Like he's not very like into music, but my mom is is an audiophile. Um, I started listening to a very at very young ages like Billy Joel and the Beatles. Um, a lot of musicals um, were definitely around my house. Um, Simon and Garfunkel. Um, yeah, a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein. So that Ooh. was yeah. So I started off in a very weird place, but. Uh, in terms of what like made me who I am now, it was definitely everything that I was growing up with around in the Long, the Long Island scene and the Bronx underground scene and just everything that was happening with like, I guess, you know, emo. Uh, I, my first three records I ever bought were uh, Census Fail, uh, the one with like the, oh man, I forgot what the album's called. Uh, you talking about still searching or are you talking about prior to it? Um, let it unfold you. Let it unfold you. There you go. I, the first three CDs I bought were let it unfold you yellow card lights and sounds. And, uh, man, I'm blanking on the, Oh, it was, a uh, Hawthorne Heights. Oh uh, yeah. And it was honestly a random happenstance. And then basically I just got sucked in from there. Yeah, it was. And so did this, now this is a little later on when you're buying records and getting any of that, but did you get like a musical education in terms of were you forced to play piano or did you get <laughs> into any interest, instruments young? Yeah, I feel like like every Asian kid, you are forced to learn some form of instrument as a child. <laughs> oh. uh, but as a, but a your father, friend. but your father is the Asian component and he doesn't like music. So you were breaking the cycle. I know. Yeah, a lot of my family really doesn't have any musical background. Um, I was like the first in in at least the generation of, I guess, my family to like really, you know, embrace it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I started learning guitar at the age of five. Um, that was my choice. I saw some apparently what the story is, because I, you know, I don't really necessarily remember it was I was watching TV and there was a commercial of a dude playing guitar. And I thought that was really awesome. And I begged my parents to get my first guitar. And then Lo and behold, I got it and was put into, you know, guitar club at my after school. And uh, that's where that started. But I also, as the years went on, uh, you know, went to many different conservatories. Like I went to Queens College for jazz prep. I went to Harlem School of the Arts to also learn jazz and blues. And then um, eventually went to high school at the, uh, what would people say, the number one public arts school in the United States, uh, LaGuardia High School, which is uh, also known as the Fame School, if you've ever seen that movie. Oh, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> yeah, that one. Exciting, so, uh, man. Now, a lot of education. Oh, well, good, because this belies the question that we always love to ask here on the show. As you enter high school, this is normally the era where a bunch of gawky 14-year-olds say, Oh, we should start a band. Oh, we should. I've got a lot of great names for that band. Oh my so God. were you starting bands in that era with your classmates? And what terrible, terrible names did they have? Oh, my God. You know, it's funny. I was actually listening to a, a, one of the podcasts before this, the one with the uh, Ice Nine Kills. Uh, yeah. Joe yeah. Cutie. Joe Cutie. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah, I've been listening to a couple of these podcasts now just to get a. a you have good taste, them. motherfucker. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I actually started doing bands starting in middle school. And so a lot of them didn't have names. You know, back then we weren't really like, oh, we're going to make name ourselves and do the whole thing like my first band was a get this a blink 182 red hot chili peppers cover band oh very eclectic mix <laughs> i mean that you sounds ever, about right yeah match up the songs you know it's really funny we we would uh we had two different singers it was me and then this kid desi who had like really intense like afro hair like curly jew afro hair and like um we had the jew fro dude sorry excuse me the jew fro um, and we just both had just drastically different voices, but we would switch off every song. Like I'd be the one playing the Blink-182 songs and singing, and then he'd be the one doing the Red Hot Chili Peppers one while playing bass. And it was just a very odd, like we really didn't know back then, like what showmanship was or like, you know, how to get like a good mix of a set together. So it was just, I don't know, in my opinion, like painfully awkward. <laughs> well, I just want you to know that would have been a good band name, painfully awkward. But Ooh. what I'm thinking is as someone who, you know, was 13 once, um, the bands that people would cover would be, you know, like Nirvana, Chili Peppers, Weezer, Green Day. And then years later, when Blink started breaking into prominence for the rest of my life, I'd say songs I would teach beginners would be Blink songs, Chili Pepper songs. I mean, Chili Pepper songs are far uh, more difficult on the guitar, but, you know, you could teach someone how to play 
other side or um, Californication mm-hmm. or things like that under the bridge is more advanced, but it makes total sense. And, you know, they're mainstream rock bands. Yeah, no, I, I can I can definitely say that I did the generic thing of having a Blink-182 like cover band as my first band. But uh, late, later, though, I did in uh, high school have a band called, um, I had two bands, uh, one called Altimeter Unwind, which was a very much like Census Fail kind of sound, like darker um, rock and such. And we played like a lot of Battle of the Bands at like the Knitting Factory and all that kind of crap. And then uh, I also did Factory in Manhattan before Brooklyn? Yeah, before Brooklyn. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I miss that place, man. Like, uh, like all the venues changed. Like back then, like, you know, I was playing like uh, the Bowery Poetry Club and Angels and Kings, if you remember that spot. I was um, I wasn't in New York then, but when I would tour with bands that I played with, the Knitting Factory in Manhattan was definitely a hot spot. And no beef to the one in Williamsburg, but the one in Manhattan was the shit. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I still remember to this day when I went to go see Census Fail, Buddy jumping off like the second floor balcony of like the, the venue and then them never being able to play there again because of it. But it was an epic show. You need to get a throat tattoo of Census Fail because you've dropped them like seven times and I approve <laughs> of it. Actually, I don't. <laughs> Dude, honestly, I don't know why. It's just when we talk about my past, they were at the, you know, back in, like, it's just funny how happenstance is when you walk into, like, a Borders and you're trying to kill time and you, like, see some CDs and it just happens that the Let It Unfold You CD just had such cool artwork and it was, like, so shiny. It was, like, the deluxe version back then. And I was just, like, you know, it's just funny how my music tastes were all based off of just looking at cool album artwork and being, like, huh, this is dope. And then I buy it and it's all the same genre. (laughs) Um, Hey, that's how they get us. Now... Altimeter Unwind is a non-ironic, super cool band name. You might nice have man. been the greatest blown out of the. We usually get some pretty bad band names. That was awesome, though. It, it was because uh, it's actually funny. The guy who I was in the band with, uh, there was a couple of guys, but uh, this kid, Daniel, um, he's actually a pilot now for Delta, but he was obsessed with airplanes when we were in high school. Like he was always on like airplane simulators, uh, stimu- simulators and such. And uh he just thought the word altimeter was a a, a cool word, yeah. and then it unwinding, it like descending, and I was like, you know what, that's a that's a vibe. Um, yeah. Wait, no, do you well. know do you know the Jawbreaker Jawbox story? No. Okay, so that? these are two bands from the early the mid nineties that never really popped off, but definitely influenced a number of other bands, and now. Jawbreaker, when they play a show now, they could play way bigger venues than they did before. But when both Jawbreaker and Jawbox, who are both in a similar world, formed new bands, they were called Burning Airlines and Jets to Brazil. So they kept the flying thematic. But I thought maybe, you know, your old band should go on tour with Jets to Brazil and and, uh, Burning Airlines. Anyway, there's my long-winded dad joke. Thank you. I love it. It would be a funny lineup. Um... But yeah, no, after that, you know, I was in a, another a duo with a drummer uh, that was from that last band called Atlantic Meets Pacific. And we just, uh, we played like the Crash Mansion and like in Long Island, we did like Vibe Lounge and the Revolution and like all that Long Island scene. So I was dipping my toes into that. Um, and then I did my solo project because I gave up on bands because I, there was a time where I really wanted to be in a band, but nobody wanted to be in a band with me. I felt like the odd man out. So I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to do my own thing. Did and you then, say no one wanted to be in a band with Lee? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Wait, wait. About your solo stuff, though. Give me give me a year reference for that. And I kind of want to go back towards your education because I think that we could definitely focus the second half of the show, which is, you know, we've, we've got 10 minutes left during this segment on your solo project. Well, which is not no longer, it's not a project. It's your actual thing. But uh, when did that start? Sure. Um, well, I, I used to go under this the name Anson Lee, like my full name. And it was more like Taylor Swift, like singer songwriting. Like I was like, you know, 14, 15, uh, I guess 2012, if I'm looking specifically at the dates on Spotify right now. Um, okay. And yeah, I was just trying to be like the guy version of Taylor Swift, just trying to write love songs and make that whole thing happen. Uh I did a lot of shows. I toured actually extensively with that. I did like three years of uh, of touring. A lot of it was like house shows, surprisingly, where I would just travel like, you know, I'd be like full U.S. and Canada, just traveling around to people's houses, playing shows, uh, doing some venues. And it was a it was a whirlwind. It was just me and my dad. And uh, uh, and then sometimes it was me and 
our tour manager, Nick, uh, in a Honda CRV, just trying to make shit happen. Now, right. And again, we are going to dive much deeper into that in part two. But sure. Scott reference, like you have like a sick musical education, like you got propelled. This is where I normally ask, like, did your parents support you? Your parents were sending you to like multiple different music schools like they believed in you early on. And you don't hear that much in the pop punk emo scene world at all. Like you hear that more in like what you were talking about with the jazz world. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think my parents, my parents growing up were very supportive of me in music. They they just wanted me to succeed and wanted to give me the tools necessary to grow. Um, That's so what she I, said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I know the education I got was, uh, especially from uh, LaGuardia, like was just unimaginable. Like I, I could not, I would not be the person I am today without it. Um, but that being said, uh, yeah, no, like uh, I think what really kind of caught them was back in high school, uh, I was signed to this management company called New Heights Entertainment. Um, and they were, they were based in LA. Like uh, I played a show at the, it's a long-winded story, but basically I played a show at the Bowery Poetry Club. Some dude saw me. Uh, told his friend Seth Solo, who does like he does now like Ariana Grande and like huge other artists about me, and he was trying to get into the like the boy band rock world. So then they signed me to this thing. They flew me out to L.A. Um, it went awry because uh, clearly I didn't blow up from that. <laughs> um, but uh, it was definitely a fun time, and I think that's when my parents really saw that this was going to start becoming a thing because like uh, New Heights Entertainment at the time had Red One, the producer who did like Lady Gaga. Yeah, they had Kelly Clarkson. They had Earth, Wind, and Fire. It was just a an interesting time, um, and I think that's when they kind of saw that this might be something. As a teenager, yeah, as a teenager, uh, yeah, I've had multiple lives. I like to feel like in terms of uh, music, it's like uh, a lot of trials and errors. Um, but yeah, back when I was like fifteen, I was being flown to LA a lot to basically make demos and then have them be pitched uh, to get me on the label but it never really happened a lot of contracts died uh in negotiations and then uh, uh the guy who was managing me at new heights eventually left the like split the partnership and then he also went to like rehab and then like basically i was left in the wind after that well i'm sorry to hear that but originally i was gonna say that when i was 23 i signed a major label deal and it didn't matter really to my mom because i wasn't on letterman so i'm just telling you that <laughs> it's really cool that you had that support then and there yeah, yeah. but i mean that's that's really a tale of being through the ringer as an artist you know going on all these sessions being flown three thousand miles and then everything kind of falls apart but obviously you and your name and your brand didn't fall apart. You kept on trucking. And I would really like to go into detail on that soon. But were there any specific musical classes you took, whether they were theory-based or composition-based or even appreciation-based that you really, really thought paved your way? Um, a lot. I mean, yeah, that's a loaded question. There were so many. But um, I'll say this. When, when I was in high school, I wasn't the best singer. Um, I actually kind of sucked until like maybe like right after high school, in my opinion, like I was good, I was good, but I wasn't great. You know, um, I also found out later that was mainly due to allergies <laughs> and, oh, and, and, no. and, 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 and also acid reflex. Um, Ugh, to, worse. I know you would never, you would never think that, but it's funny when you, th when you find out that like a lot of the issues you have are, have nothing to do with your technique. It has everything to do with like what you're ingesting and like pollen and shit i don't know <laughs> uh but i met i had a vocal teacher a couple vocal teachers uh at my school that uh taught me during their lunch periods and my lunch periods because at my school i was an instrumental major not a vocal major um i ended up actually double majoring later in in my school but uh for me like uh miss ballard and mr marwa uh, who were the choir teachers at my school um they were willing to really put in the time with me on the on their you know on their fucking lunches to teach me how to sing. Um, wow. And uh, for me, that was really powerful because uh, I learned so much from that. Uh, and it, it definitely put me on the right track of where I needed to go. Um, well, they, so they taught you how to find your way back home. It was quite bittersweet. <laughs> Dude, you with all these puns, man. You, I, I remember doing that article with you uh, like a couple of weeks ago for the Mayday Parade uh, rankings. And yeah, you just love that. It's amazing. <laughs> well, I'm really happy you remember the article we did a few weeks ago. 
I, I, I don't forget things that far. <laughs> but no, honestly, I, I really, really feel, you know, lately because of COVID, you've been such a ghost to me, but maybe that's just inside my head. Oh my God. Oh, it doesn't stop with him. You can't keep feeding these to him, Anson. Please, I'm begging you, stop. <laughs> I don't even know how to. How, how Are you a little bit out? nervous? Anson! You know <laughs> Anson, what have you done? Now he's in a hole. Now he's in a loop. <laughs> Jed, you gotta help you gotta help me out here too. You gotta stop. Jed, please this. don't go. <laughs> oh my god. Is no wait, did you say your choir's teacher name was Miss Ballad? Miss Ballard. Oh, oh because it sounded like a ballad. Missed opportunity. But <laughs> I mean, talk about like, yeah, like, you know, that's the classic tale is that a teacher took a fraction of their time to give someone the inspiration to be better but they were really investing in you and you know you you went to a school for professional training on that you know you were going to a very serious school but you seem to get a lot more out of it even than that well yeah i mean it's because i think they saw me trying and also at the time at my school there was a lack of like tenors like they really needed tenors in in the choirs ice Um, cream (laughs) the music and uh and uh, they both saw me perform. So at my school, there's this uh, another class that actually really helped me. It's called New Music Singers. And it's the songwriting class at, at our school. It's very hard to get into. You have to audition to get into. Um, and they saw me perform at the New Music Singers Showcase. And they thought that I was I had a really good voice and that they could probably use me up in the vocal department. Um, and that's kind of how it started. Um, but I think that they just, they they knew that I was trying to do stuff. Like I got I got into a lot of the, hard to get courses very early on, like AP music theory. I took my freshman year uh, because I already was trained enough in the, in, in theory to know all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I new music singers I got into as a freshman. That's usually a junior, at least class. Um, and it, it was just because I think that they saw that my skill level was a little bit higher than, than most. Um, and so was your voice. Before. Oh yeah. Thanks. I mean, but, but, but back then, back no, then my tenor. voice was a thing. Yeah, tenor. true. Yeah, I mean, I, I my voice changed about a week ago, and now I grow facial hair. But back to you, <laughs> we only have we have just under uh, two minutes left in segment one. I know it's the best wow time of your life. Holy cow! And we'll get into you know Anson the project more detail. But if you had to use an adjective, we haven't brought this up in a while, Jay. I know it's and been Emily. A while. If you had to use an adjective to describe the past 23 minutes and 36 seconds of your life, what would it be? Splendid. Aww. That's a new one for us. I'm super duper. No, because... Oh, sorry, what? It was polite and it was quick. You didn't have to hesitate. (laughs) I just Googled what an adjective was because I have not been in English for a very long time, so... We do uh, get that a lot. <laughs> you're you're not lot. the only one. Don't worry. Yeah. No, but this has been awesome. Like, seriously, like, uh, I, again, I think I was telling you guys before we started this, that, you know, I really get a chance to tell my story. So it's uh, very awesome to, like, have this and be able to, you know, s- s- share the words of, uh, share the Waldman words. <laughs> Aww. The Anson analysis. Oh. Ooh. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Enjoy these messages from Adobe, and we'll be right back with Anson. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Waldman's Words. We have the amazing Anson here on the line with Scott and Jed and I. Hi. Hello. Hello bud. Shalom. <laughs> Shalom. Yes. <laughs> oh, my we God. We, we're all Jewish. <laughs> we didn't even ask if he had a bar mitzvah, but now it's too late because we're in the second half of the show. No, no fuck it. Did you have a bar mitzvah? Yes, indeed, I did. Okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it was at my, my summer theme? camp. Wait, did you oh. wait? Did you have a theme to your bar mitzvah? I didn't, to be honest with you. It was at my uh, Jewish summer camp. So it was like uh, me and a whole bunch of other people getting bar mitzvah at the same time. So I just said my Torah portion and did blessings and all that stuff. And then people threw candy at me. And then there was then there was lunch. So there wasn't That's really not a true New York bar mitzvah, man. The bar mitzvah lasts about 17 years and you yeah. party every single. No, mine was WWF <laughs> wrestling and it was sick. But before we go mocking me further on before we go into your career, we're going to go kind of in jumbled order. You are doing something really cool on March 6th of this year. Can you explain? Yes, indeed. Um, it's coming up. It's, uh, I think when this airs, it's going to be that Saturday, which is pretty tight. Um, 
I am going on, I'm going to be doing a live stream, a full band live stream uh, of my latest album uh, that just came out, A Note for You to Find, plus additional songs. Um, it's going to be the longest set I've ever done. Um, it's going to be the best show I've ever done because of the the players I have playing with me, the cameras, the lights. You know, it's at a really awesome venue. Um, yeah, it's going to be, honestly, in my opinion, the best show I've ever done, and I just can't wait for everyone to go see it. So if you want to come, you should go check it out on Veeps. And uh, yeah, cool. everyone should come. <laughs> wait, it's going to be great. platform? Oh, Veeps. I, I think I said it. I used, I'm starting to notice I need to enunciate more for the microphone. So yes, Veeps.com uh, is where you can we get had, tickets. I hadn't heard of it. I love it. It's uh, it's owned by the Madden Brothers, like the Good Charlotte oh. dudes, and they I think they just sold it to Live Nation. Um, but uh, it's like a I don't know, like a lot of artists do stuff on there. Uh, who was I just like like Nile or whatever his name is from One Direction did stuff on there. Julian Baker has a show with Audio Tree on there coming up right after mine. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a cool spot. You had Madden to catch yourself. You didn't want <laughs> you didn't want to be knowing that guy from One Direction's name. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, uh, what's his name? I actually straight up don't know. Did I say it right? Like, uh, okay. Uh, uh, that's really exciting though. We love, we love live stream shows here on this show and that's just the new way to do things, right? Yeah, no, I, I've never done one uh, of this caliber before. And, you know, I was hoping by this time this year, like I'd be doing shows for the album or touring or doing something. So, um, at the very least, I, you know, we have this live band full on performance and it's going to be well documented. And I just think it's going to be just something for people to latch onto because a lot of people are international fans and they, they haven't seen me yet play like ever. So uh, I'm very excited about this. We're excited too, mofo. Fuck yeah. But <laughs> let's, yeah, he cursed. He's so bad. No. Okay. So let's go into where we left off. So I believe we started talking about 2012, Anson, correct? Uh, yes, that, there was a time in 2012 where I did music and I was a solo <laughs> artist. So, yeah, that's correct. Well, thank you for that analysis of my analysis. <laughs> Talk to me. Let's fuck 2013. Talk to me about 2014, Anson. 2014, Anson, was in college really trying to figure it out. Um at that time, you know, I was finishing my degree, which I have, which is, I think most musicians, uh, it's a, it's not a thing. So I'm glad I have it, but, uh, uh, I was, you know, doing a handful of singles and really struggling to figure out, uh, what I was going to do with my life. So, um, around that time period, I got the idea to rebrand myself. Um, and I rebranded myself from Anson Lee to Anson. Um, and basically from 2014, 2015 on, I was really focusing on that. But uh, I was also just trying to find my sound. It was just a lot of like, what am I doing? Right. What are you uh, doing? What am I doing? <laughs> that's Who a great question. Doing? Where are you doing? Um, <laughs> but that's an important you know, stage in everyone's career. And how did you develop that sound? Did you look to inspiration? Did you go back to your schooling? He just listened to Census Fails discography over and over. And over. <laughs> so <laughs> many times. So, yeah. No, I mean, like, um, I kind of took it back to the basics. I mean, there was a time where I honestly was just, like, floating. And I feel like a lot of people in L.A., you just kind of float. Like, I just got out of school around that time. And I was trying to get myself into doing like singer, uh, like songwriting. So I was like trying to get a, a publishing deal. Uh, I was working with like jingle punks and uh, songs, music publishing and like taking briefs when I can. And it was like trying to sell my soul to the industry, um, so to speak. Um, but I kind of quickly gave that up and realized that being a, like songwriting is so precious to me. And it's such a art form of expression. Like I just didn't want to give that up to a corporation and have it be so desanitized in my opinion but like yeah i respect anyone who does that but um it's not for you yeah it's just yeah, not for right. me yeah so but after that um i took it back to my roots i was like why am i even here in the first place like why you know like what do i love like what's in my heart like what, like a lot of my friends who were in bands at the time were starting to change their sound to be more pop or more edm because that was like the thing that was coming out at the time 
And I didn't, I didn't really want to pivot like that. I was like, that's not who I am as a person. And what kind of brought me back was the 2006 Warped Tour compilation CD. Um, you know, that was the year I played Warped, right? No way, really? Yeah. But I want to look, look it up because, yeah, we were on the Smart Punk stage with Paramore, Helmet, and yep. Chiodos. But let me Helmet. see. Yeah, well, I want to get a, not a timeline, but exactly where we are. So you live in L.A. now? Yeah, I um I live in Silver Lake. I've actually been I've been living by coastal for quite some time. I think I've been here for maybe eight years now. Um, but I f- officially moved like if, like all the boxes and everything were here probably twenty fifteen. What made you come here as opposed to staying in New York? Where I mean, New York is also a big music city, and you got your entire education there. Was there something big and shiny here that made you want to come? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, at the time, uh, before school was happening, like where I going to college here, I, um, that management deal, they were flying me out here all the time. So I thought that that was going to be a continued thing. And then when it didn't become a continued thing, I already accepted my, uh, like school Cal state long beach to go and and study at. So I kind of was like stuck here, but then I kept coming back and forth. And I, I noticed though in New York, everyone was migrating like to, to LA or Nashville, like it, there was really this weird ex- exodus of people. Um, and I'm sure you guys know a lot of those people too, because you're, you guys are all here, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we are, but Scott. we're not in the same room. It's sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. So uh, I saw that was happening. And a lot of my big uh, people that I knew over at like Warner, for example, were all tr- heading over this way too. So I just knew that the industry was going to be here. Um, and that's why I'm here. Besides the weather and the food, of course. Yes. The, the one thing yeah. we got on New York. Uh, well, I mean, actually, well, the bagels and the pizza are not great here. I actually had a pizza uh, off last night with a friend to like see which pizzas are better, and we've all agreed that it's it's pretty good. It's as close as we can get to like New York pizza in LA, but still not, still not, not it. All right, I got Mister. I just want to say something. I'm from New York too, and I agree that the pizza is superior there. But there's some freaking awesome pizza places here, just not as many. And rant. I got a, a tip about bagels. <laughs> and I didn't know this was a thing. Did you know Larry King, before he died, he opened a bagel shop? And Get out of here. he's not importing the New York water. He found a way to put the exact same things in the New York water into water here. No. So I forgot what it's called, but I'm sure if you look up Larry King Bagel Shop, and they are apparently the exact same as like a Manhattan bagel. That is trippy. I, I, I would never think of it. Highly debatable because I was going to say, oh, sorry, we don't have your gross New York water. Oh, let me go down to the Hudson and pick up a <laughs> scoop of some disgusting water. And you guys uh, are like, no, it makes it better. It makes it better. It depends. <laughs> I mean, it, water does water make dies. a difference. I mean, like, yeah, like New Orleans, for example, it's all the water. Like I've, I've tried, you know, uh, me and my girlfriend, Meredith, we, we make a lot of the time now, uh, man, beignets? What uh, not beignets. No, it's a, it's kind of like a stew kind of thing. Oh, uh, oh shoot. Uh, jambalaya. Gumbo. Not gumbo. The other thing. Jambalaya. 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 Yeah. We make a lot of jambalaya. Hi, um, Meredith. And it's, it's not the same. She, I'm in headphones right now, so she can't hear, unfortunately, but I will let, let her know that, uh. You say hi. She's in the other room. I'm in the. Well, she'll be listening to this live at 5 p.m. Pacific. (laughs) (laughs) On Adobe Radio. On Adobe Radio. So, whipping us back around, giving us whiplash to get us back on track. (laughs) You're here in LA. You're making serious moves. It's now like the mid thousands. We're nearing like the end of the Obama era, the didn't know how good we had things era. Yeah. Uh, And. The, the world is changing, you know, just the, the face of the music scene isn't what it was five years before or even 10 years before when you were, you know, in the scene yourself. Uh, how were you uh, changing then? How were you trying to get ahead of the pack in terms of putting the work in? Totally. Well, I, I saw a lot of bands were, of the sound that I wanted to do were just like non-existent anymore. Like uh, I grew up, you know, really loving uh, like armor for sleep paramore um taking back sunday and a lot of those bands even paramore taking back sunday were just not doing the sound that they started off with that a lot of people loved and i respect them for doing what they did i mean like they've been around for you know 
you know, like over 10, 20 years, like they, of course you're going to change your sound as time goes on, but I missed hearing that. Um, so for me, I was just like, okay, let's go back to the roots. Let's go back to what you actually like and start writing like what you truly love. And it kind of became, it just flourished. I just couldn't stop writing songs. Um, so from there I was like, okay, this is going to be a thing. I have at least 20 songs. Like the first EP I released back in 2017, um, it's only five songs, but I actually did like 20 songs for it and then cut it down because it was, it was too eclectic. Um, but yeah, I made my first EP in 2017 for Anson and it's called to be or nothing at all. And, uh, behind the scenes, there was a lot of, uh, changes again, like eclectic sound, still trying to figure it out. And then I had some, some band members who, uh, like internally I was trying to bring into the, like my thing. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe Anson should be a band. Uh, they didn't play on the record or anything like that, but like, uh, you know, just trying to be like, this is going to be a thing. I'm branding it. I trademarked it. You know, I'm doing all this. Like, do you want to be a part of this? And it kind of never really worked out. But uh, yeah, I released the uh, the EP and uh, I did some music videos for it. And then it kind of looked like I was doing a trio, but it really wasn't. Wait, I just want to <laughs> right. say something because we do like to talk about what goes on behind the curtain on this show. And you brought it up. And a lot of times when you hear a band's record, like, for example, the starting line, the drummer might not have been drumming on it. The oh yeah, the bassist might not have been. I mean, he he did, but in some cases, it like might just be the singer with studio musicians. Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. Siamese Dream is literally Billy Corgan on all vocals, guitar, z and bass, and Jimmy Chamberlain on drums. That's interesting. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I'm definitely not too far from that. Like for me. I played a lot of the guitars and, and bass and I sang, but actually what's interesting is um, my, at the time I was recording with the, my friend Andrew, who's a producer at uh, Richard Rains's house. Uh, if you know who he is, like from drive, drive through. Uh, yeah. He was like semi quasi managing me at the time. And the people who are actually playing on the initial EP are actually, if you guys have heard of the band, the Rex, yep. um, it's a mm-hmm. uh, Billy playing drums and then Nick uh, Schmidt playing guitar um uh on some of the things and then uh i had nick anderson the singer kind of co-producing it with me so uh that's the story of the first ep it was just a labor of love of friends wanting to help me out uh, flesh out the sound and uh that's what the first ep was nice exciting and yeah you said you had to go from 20 songs to five yeah and you were just cutting out like other sounds he's murdering children Basically, that's what it feels like because, like, all your songs are your babies, and you have to do Sophie's choice and kill fifteen of them. Jesus, I, I think that's one way to put it. Sorry, <laughs> that's intense, man. Uh, ah, sense is felt intense. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, it just was too eclectic. Like, I was still kind of caught in my singer songwriter mode. So some of them were like folky songs. Some of them were a little bit too alt rock. I was really just kind of all over the place. And as much as I love those songs, and maybe they'll come out later. I don't know. I have a whole bunch of them still like demoed out and such. But uh, I stuck with the five that that are on the EP because I knew that they were bangers that would, released in terms of branding, be a good start and sampler of what I wanted to do. Nice, because I know less about this than than you or Scott and Emily. I only work uh, adjacent to the music industry. But is that how you can really go help sell yourself when you send the album to a prospective business contact and they hear one sound and you're nailing it versus five sounds and you're doing pretty good on all of them? Hmm. I don't know. Sell yourself better? Is that, was that like a business choice as well as artistic? Yeah. So for me, it was a business choice because I I do manage myself and uh, I, you know, I run everything that you guys have seen from me. Um, Yeah. It was, it was a business choice because every time I pitch like a label or something like that, they would just be like, this is too all over the place. You don't have a following yet. Like focus on a specific thing and then, you know, do that. So at least that was the methodology at the time. I mean, Scott, I, I know you manage a whole bunch of things like artists and, and uh, uh, producers and such. Like, what's your take on that? I mean, the thing is, is labels, as you know, they are hoping for as big of a fan base beforehand 
so that they don't have to develop you. Yes, there are labels like We Are Triumphant out there and labels of that size, smaller and larger, that can break a band, but it's a lot easier to prove something that's already been proven as opposed to start at ground zero. So it's it's a lot harder to get a record deal nowadays without significant data. Exactly. And I figured as if I kept, kept focusing on a specific niche, they would, with time, create a community and a following. And I, I think I was right because it's starting to finally build, <laughs> which is great. Very grateful. So were you vindicated like Dashboard Confessional? Oh, I was I was entirely vindicated and uh I swear I'm right. Ooh. Ah, Hands he, he down, that do was a good Scott. dad joke. <laughs> he oh, can man. do it too, Scott. So we're like fully entering the modern era of your career. The the final the last four years, the nightmare situation. But for you, I'm guessing it actually went a lot better. How have you have you already been taking advantage of like modern platforms? Were you trying to push digital content before that was a strict mandatory for the music industry? Yeah, no. Uh, at the time, you know, I had a lot of YouTuber friends and I saw that the amount of media they were making and the audiences they were grabbing from that media. And I knew that I needed to do something like that. Um, which is why I, I started really focusing on videos. Like uh, if you look at the beginning of my Anson career, you'll see that a lot of the songs have music videos. Uh, I had did some covers that had music videos. And then basically um, with my digital marketing skill set, I started advertising very heavily on Facebook, um, you know, just sending people the videos that I had, especially, for example, uh, the t- my Taking Mac Sunday cover, uh, which basically, and I guess kind of went viral because, uh, when I posted it on Facebook and and then started advertising it, it slowly quickly racked up to like 21,000 likes on the video. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, that's wild. So well, it's cause you hustle, um, man. Yeah. I, I just want you to know, like, obviously you have a good product, which is why I think you're on the show, but I am on Facebook a lot and there's various groups that I'm a part of. And every time you have something to promote, pretty much I get 15 notifications from you. And I'm not upset by it. It's the hustle where you post in pop punk kids or defend pop punk group or just all these groups. And you really, really, really are constantly plugging, not because you don't have a manager, not because you don't have people doing it for you, but because you know that no one is going to promote you better than you. Yeah, you you are, at least until things change and like you blow up, you you are the driving force behind everything. And and I've always been the grinder. Like I'm, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Like I literally start my day at seven 30 every day, then finish at midnight every day uh, between my job and music, just talking to people and trying to, you know, get as loud as I can. I mean, growing up, I would go to shows, hand out my CDs, uh, try to sell them. Like I was, I was on at warp tour, just handing out things, um, always grinding. And now with the digital realm, you can do that just all online. So, um, I just constantly am trying to get people to listen to my music because that's just what you got to do at this level. It's working. Literally. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I don't sleep, but I, I'm very grateful. <laughs> hey, man, sleep is for the week, okay? I disagree with you, will- and I'm tired. And we will never rest till we're all fucking, fucking dead. Fucking dead. Okay? I love it. That's <laughs> just, come on, look, common knowledge. But, yeah, exactly. And maybe you could say a little bit more. With the little time that we have left in the show, sad to say... Maybe we can start moving into, you know, the future, like despite 2020 and now all of 2021 going to be a massive shit show. (laughs) What are some of the gems sticking out for you? And like, what what plans are you what are you going to use moving forward to keep the momentum going in an era where we can't have live shows? I know. Well, the funny thing is, I've I mean, this is this live stream that I'm doing on the 6th of uh, this coming week. uh, as you know, that's just the start of everything. And I, I wasn't planning on doing a lot of shows because, you know, obviously with COVID, it makes it a lot harder to do. But my, my main thing has always been focusing on digital. Like I know that everyone's online at all times, every single day. We have, uh, do you, I'm not sure if you guys can hear it, but there's like those crazy Terminator looking helicopters coming over my roof right now. Oh, uh, we, we sent them. Yeah. You sent them? You guys are coming to kill me? No, we're not doing it directly. <laughs> It's such a trip when they come over. I'm not sure if you guys have seen those, but they're, uh, they they literally look like something from a sci-fi movie. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, no, uh, 
the album is just the start. I'm planning on making a ton more content. Uh, this is just the beginning. I'm working already on album number two. Uh, I've so far the reception of the first album has been really, really good. So the label has told me, like you know, I I should focus on just making content and promoting and just getting as many people to listen to it as possible while also making the second album. So that's kind of the plan at the moment. Uh, yeah. So do you have, just to close this out, cause I say we have about like three to four minutes, um, any piece of advice you would give someone who was maybe in your position when you were like 15 or 16? Cause obviously, you know, you put out your first album, you're doing very well. You live multiple musical lives, you're self-managed. So what would you tell that teenager do everything the the reason why i say i'm saying do everything and more specifically what i mean is be able to be able to dabble in all parts of music and the music industry um because no one's going to do it for you at the beginning there's a lot of overhead unless you have parents with a lot of money or or somebody who's going to give you a lot of money you're going to have to do a lot of things yourself and from that i've i've had to learn marketing i've had to learn graphic design i've had to learn audio engineering i've had to learn finance i've had to learn a myriad of skills uh to do what i'm doing right now to make it possible so if i had to say anything and it it doesn't look like the industry is going to be changing in fact i think it's just going to be getting smaller and smaller and everyone's just going to have more jobs and more roles to do so if my advice would be is to do everything and try to run everything yourself if you can nice yeah i mean maybe scott and emily can say better that you know you have to be a self-starter you can't just let people manage you you can't just let people do the work for you not only that but being aware of how every process works if you're going to be in the middle of it is so beneficial because you won't get taken advantage of and you'll know what you're talking about it's alarming (laughs) oh my god scott you just called me God. Thank you. That's a great way to end this. So thank you very much, Anson. If you could please let everyone know your socials and how to find you. It's pretty easy to find you and you're pretty active on there, but why the hell not? Sure. Um, if you have never listened to my music, uh, you should go check me out at uh, literally any social media platform. The handle is at Anson official. So A-N-S-O-N and then the word official because, you know, I'm, I'm very official. Um, on literally everywhere, uh, Spotify, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and I would love to connect because, uh, I'm just trying to build a community. Like I've, I like being close with the fans and being able to just, I don't know, just chat on a daily basis about our shit. So, uh, come check me out. Oh man, that's what we're all about. We love hearing that. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Waldman's words. You're either listening live on Adobe radio, at 5 PM Pacific or on the Adobe app on their website or their app, or you're listening to us as a podcast, wherever you can find podcasts. And if you're smart, you also just watched our Twitch live stream, Waldman's words live the hour before the show airs on Adobe. And I got a, I got a secret hint. We're going to have Anson on the stream. It seems like fingers crossed. So we're very excited. Anson, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.